One area of uh, life that I've had to be more mindful of as I've gotten older is with food, isn't it? You know, you're young, especially for me, when I was young, I could eat whatever I wanted, stay thin as a rake. I'm watching our kids go through that at the moment, especially Daniel. Like, that boy will just put away anything. Like, the other night, he's like, Dad, I'm, I'm really hungry. Can we go get some, some takeaways? I was like, okay, let's go get some takeaways. He's like, what do you want? It's like, I'll have a cheeseburger, I'll have a chicken burger, I'll have two fries, and I'll have a drink, and I'll have a sundae. And I was like, what? And he's like, blum, blum, blum. And then, like, 10 minutes later, he's like, Dad, I'm still hungry. I was like, what? <laughs> Come on. Come on. I mean, through high school, I, could, I played field hockey, which is one of the most... Uh, in, you know, one of the hardest sports. It, it burns the most calories, basically. There's another hockey player over there on the PowerPoint this morning. Um, and I played three times a week, so that's 90 minutes a game. So three times a week, three practices. It's like seven hours a week of running around on a hockey field, uh, constant running. And so I could eat almost anything. And I had to watch that as I got older. But one of the favorite places to eat for me, okay, one of the things that I loved was Pizza Hut, right? Pizza Hut, because they did. I don't know if you remember their restaurants that used to look like this. I don't know if they do them that much anymore. There was one on Lincoln Road and one in New Lynn, and they did all you could eat. And I thought about playing, I found on YouTube an ad from the 90s for the Pizza Hut all you could eat. And I thought, no, that's too cringe. We're not going to watch that. But they did all you could eat for $3.95. I was like, no wonder they do, don't do that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm like, mate, that's right. You know, three ninety five, all you can eat. No wonder they'd stopped doing that. But I remember one day I was in high school, went to New Lynn Pizza Hut with a group of friends, and we had all you could eat. And one of my friends ate so much they didn't feel so good, and they had to go outside. And they went outside and they puked in the garden just outside the window in front of everyone. <laughs> Not a not a pretty sight for the other diners. Just like watch this person just get up and out the window, into the garden, come back inside. It's great, you know. But the funny thing is that no matter how full you are after eating, you know, Valentine's, Pizza Hut, all you can eat, buffet, whatever, you always need to eat again later, don't you? I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes even in the same meal, you're like, at Christmas time I do this. You eat like all the dessert that you can eat and your stomach's like, oh, I can't take any more. And you're like, oh, I feel a bit odd. You know what I'll do? I'll go have some more roast veggies just to balance it out. You know, you do that and you, you kind of balance out the sweet and the savory. And uh, I've done that plenty of times. But the thing is, you always have to eat, right? I've eaten, you know, stuffed myself full of pizza, but the next day you're like, I've got to eat again. And um, we're in the middle of looking at our I am statements. You're probably wondering, what the heck has that got to do with what we're talking about? Well, Jesus frames his I am statement that we're looking at today in terms of food. And we're going to get in that in a second, but let's just pray as we come to God's word. And then we'll see uh, how, that, how that all fits together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for uh, your gospel. We thank you for the ways in which you have inspired your apostles to write down your story. And uh, we thank you that we can learn uh, from that and we can learn who you are and we can learn how you want us to follow you and how you want us to live. So we pray that you would speak deep to our souls this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we looked at one of the, there's seven I am statements, and we didn't look at any of them last week, but we looked at a foundational statement. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that statement revealed uh, four things about who Jesus is. 
Do you remember what they were? Was anyone taking notes last week? Anyone got a photographic memory? Did anyone listen to the podcast? Remember what they were? No? Good. The first one is Jesus is God, right? That was the thing that he was saying. Do you remember? That was the most obvious, right? God, he was referencing the burning bush moment where God, uh, Moses asked God's name and God says, my name is I am. Tell them that I am has sent you, right? So Jesus is saying I'm God, right? The second one, any thoughts? Jesus is, yes, who said that? (laughs) She's cheating, right? No, no prize for you. (laughs) Jesus is savior, right? (laughs) It's like, who said that? The PowerPoint operator. (laughs) It doesn't count, right? Um, Jesus is savior, okay, because of the, um, the association of God saving his people in that Exodus story. Then Jesus is eternal, And we talked about how Jesus appears in the Old Testament through various uh, manifestations in different stories. And then Jesus is holy. And so those are the four foundational things that Jesus tells us that we keep in mind as we read these statements and as we go through them. So we're in John chapter 6 today. So if you want to go there, we'll be referencing bits and pieces of the whole chapter so you can follow along uh, in your Bible. But the saying that we are looking at Uh, And we're going through them chronologically. So this is the first time Jesus makes one of these statements. Um, And it's in John 6, verse 35. And this is what he says. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Now, if you're just taking it at face value like that, that's pretty cool, right? You could make it say whatever you want, right? You could make it say that... uh, you know, as a, as a Christian, Jesus is going to make sure you always got food and drink. You never have to worry about any of that stuff. You're going to have to be able to afford your groceries. You'll just have bread turn up uh, on the doorstep, freshly baked every morning, and it'll just be bread from heaven, right? But that's not what he's saying. You have to read in context. That's always important when you're reading. You can't just take a verse out of context and make it say whatever you want. So we're going to do that this morning by looking at some of the the things around it. And I encourage you, as I said, to have your Bible open at John 6, because that's the context of this whole saying. Now, there's something really interesting about John's gospel. It's very different to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those, Those gospels are often called the synoptic gospels because they're very similar, and there's a lot of stories and and content that's shared across them. The John's gospel is is very different. It's often called or referred to as like the spiritual gospel, and John has structured it around uh, kind of this idea of sevens, okay? He likes the number seven. So there's the seven I am statements. There's also another seven things that happen in the gospel. Do you know what they are? Any ideas? Seven sayings and seven, no, no, hey, hey, I see Pip over there, yeah. (laughs) Um, Seven miracles that Jesus does. Okay, so there's only seven miracles that you know. You think about the story of Jesus, and you think about uh, the other gospels, and how many um, miracles that Jesus did in John's gospel. There's only seven, a- and do you know what they are? Any ideas? Was that? There's two of them in this chapter. So if you if you've got John six in front of you, you can you can look at them, right? You can you can get two at least. <laughs> what are you what feeding the five thousand? That's right. That's the very first one, right? Turning water into wine, right? Feeding the 5,000, that's number four. So there's two in between, right? 
There's two in between. Healing the nobleman's son and healing the lame man. Then feeding the 5,000. Then what does he do that night after he feeds the 5,000? He goes up on the mountain to pray. That's right. And then he comes down. He walks on water, gets across the lake. Uh, There's two more. No, that's not in this gospel. Yeah. Uh, He heals the man born blind. I once was blind, but now I see. Right? And the last one. The last one gets him in a lot of trouble, and it's done in Holy Week. (laughs) What did he do on the Sabbath? He raises Lazarus from the dead. That's right. Okay, and that's that's the last one that he does there. Seven miracles. Now, what's the purpose of these miracles? John tells us, actually, after the very first one in uh, in chapter 2. He says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs. So there's seven signs. So I've called them miracles, but John calls them signs. In Cana, Galilee, he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And then he tells us again at the end. These are the last two verses of John's gospel. 21, 24 to 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. So he's talking about himself. He's like, I've seen all of these things. We know that his testimony is true. And then he says, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. John tells us that Jesus' miracles are signs in his book, and they are um, he chooses them carefully because he wants us to believe in Jesus. They are there to reveal something about Jesus, to manifest him to us. Um, and John, as I said, John calls them signs. That is, they are supposed to point beyond themselves to something else. I mean, that's, that's what a sign does. A sign doesn't exist for its own self. It, a sign exists to point us to something else. And these signs that Jesus does point us to who he really is. The problem is that the people don't really understand. His disciples kind of get it, but most people don't. And Jesus has done, before he starts these I am sayings, he's already done five miracles out of the seven. And the people haven't really got into the frame of mind that these miracles are not just about the physical healings or um, feedings. They're about something deeper. They're about kind of like the reality behind the reality, the true, deeper reality. I mean, we could do a whole series on these seven signs, but we want to see how people understood what Jesus was saying. And we can do that by looking at a couple of stories. The first is uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, okay? And uh, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs. You see, they're signs. He calls them signs. Unless you do, unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not, don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus, who's a teacher in Israel, Jesus goes on to say, but you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? Doesn't get that Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality. He goes straight to being literally physically born again, which is really like a weird place to go. (laughs) Kind of impossible and really unpleasant, isn't it? To, To think about that. But this is kind of the paradigm that people who encountered Jesus they kind of are operating from this physical-only paradigm. Jesus says, you've got to be born again. He's like, but how would that work, Jesus? How would I be born again? That doesn't make sense. And Jesus is like, no, because you're not thinking about the deeper reality. The next story is um, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty Again, But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. So again, she thinks he's talking about some kind of fountain of youth, right? Some magical physical water that you go to like like in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like the cup of Jesus Christ or the, the fountain of youth where you drink from it and you never get thirsty and you never grow old and you live forever. I mean, that would be cool, wouldn't it? If you could find the fountain of youth, you just go there and drink and that's great. But she doesn't get that Jesus is talking about the spirit and the spiritual deeper reality. And you kind of get the sense that Jesus is like, you guys really aren't getting this, and so I'm going to have to spell it out for you, right? Because he's just fed 5,000 people, okay? And he's given them this bread, and he's trying to show them that he that this is who he is. And he walks on water across the lake, and they um, they follow him. And they want the food, and they want the drink. And so what this reveals to us, well, this is, I guess, a question for us to come out of this, is what is our motive when we come to Jesus? Why are these people coming to Jesus? Automatically, they're thinking about physical things. What's this part of the story? We're in verse 24 to 27 here. When when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, so they all came back to the same place the next day because they're like, "Wow, we got some free food. We want to go. We had all-you-can-eat buffet, right? And they did, and then they ate all they could, and then they had 12 baskets left over, and they, they come back. Jesus isn't there. They're like, hold on a second. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So they come back, they're like, man, we're really hungry again, which is fair enough. You know, they've probably had a sleep and, uh, you know, get another free meal. And they can't find him, so they freak out. And they're like, where did Jesus go? Like, we, didn't, we saw his disciples. And then they stop and they think. They're like, we saw the disciples go out on a boat. So they, he must have gone across. They kind of do their detective work. And they get, they get in their boats and they sail across the lake to go and find him. They really want this food, right? They really want it. It must have been good bread and good fish because they really want it. And they follow him. And then they're like, oh, Jesus, here you are. When did you get here? 
how did you get here, you know? When have you got here? And he's, but Jesus is like, hold on a second. You guys aren't actually here because of me. You're not here because you saw the signs. And he refers to the sign again. You're here because you're hungry. You want food. But they haven't understood what Jesus is talking about. They suffer from this will that is bent in on itself. They're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm hungry, which is fair enough. First century life was hard. And to get a meal where you could eat as much as you wanted and there were still leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers, is a big deal. They probably wouldn't have eaten like that for a long time, many years. And they're like, well, if Jesus can just like break some bread and you know, make some food for us, well, why not? Um, but they haven't understood the sign. It's like if you are hungry, right, and you're driving down the road, you're like, man, I'm really hungry, and you see this, all right, in the, in, in the side of the road. You know what that means, right? It's McDonald's, oh, yeah. <laughs> Daniel knew what this meant before he was like two years old. <laughs> he would know. In the back of the car, you drive past a McDonald's, you'd have to figure out a route that didn't have a McDonald's sign because he knew that he could get chips here, all right? <laughs> but you know... Imagine you're driving down the road, you're hungry, you see one of these, and instead of going to the McDonald's, you just stop at the sign, and you're like, okay, sign, where's my food? And you're waiting for the sign. It sounds ridiculous, but that's kind of the the thing that these people are doing. They're missing the actual meaning of the sign. They're missing the point. They're sitting, looking at the sign, but not understanding what it means. So we have to ask ourselves, when we come to Jesus, what are we expecting? Do we expect him to do the things that we want him to do? Are we just expecting him to meet us on our terms? Are we looking just at the surface? Or are we going deeper? Are we looking at the reality, the true reality of what the sign points to, of the reality of who Jesus is and who his words and his signs reveal that he is? I mean, that's a big question. Jesus tells them, work for the food that will never perish, food that will sustain forever, food that will last eternally. The same thing that he tells the woman at the well. And when he says that, and when he claims to be the bread of life, he is saying that he satisfies us at our deepest level. The thing is, Jesus has so much more in mind for us than we have for ourselves, which, is, which really is good news when you think about it. Because no matter how much we can think of, how much we can imagine, how much we can plan, Jesus has more than that for us. So much more that it's even a whole different kind of a paradigm. It's not even just a physical thing. It's spiritual needs as well as physical needs. It's a both and. Jesus reveals this when he talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for they will be filled. And he's dealing with the core issue of humanity at this point, that apart from God, we're all spiritually dead. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2.1. It's pretty brutal, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? But he goes on to say later, but God has made you alive in Christ. So there's some good news. But this is our natural state. This is how we are born. This is because we have that deep longing in our soul that hasn't been met. And no matter how much we try and fill it, no matter how much we try and fix it, we actually 
can't. Jesus, in this um, discussion that he has with these people in chapter 6, as it goes on, he draws a connection between himself and his miracle of feeding the 5,000 and, and making that bread and the story of the manna in the Old Testament and God feeding the Israelites for 40 years. He says, look, the manna that you had was physical, and, the, and um, they talk about this, how the people ate the manna and they still died. And Jesus says, no, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. I am the spiritual bread that will give spiritual nourishment that is going to fill up that hunger and that thirst for righteousness, for right relationship with God. Jesus knows that everything else that we put in its place, even if it's a good thing, a good thing like a a, a relationship or a good person, it's going to fall short of truly fulfilling us at that deep level. That's what he's saying. Only he can. doesn't matter how much bread we eat, how much fish we eat, how much water we drink. Spiritually, that's not going to change, transform, and satisfy. But our world is set up, our modern world, in such a way that it always leaves us wanting more. That's how our economy works, right? The advertising that we see, the stuff that we get, it creates in us this idea of this, this scarcity mentality that, oh, if I don't buy it now, I'm going to miss out. And I've, I've felt that all the time. You know, Every time Apple releases a new product, I'm like, I've got to get it, otherwise I'm going to miss out. Christiani knows, right? <laughs> We're going to rush out and buy more. But, I mean, you think about it. That's what our prime minister had to say when we had the lockdown last year, right? She said, don't go out and panic buy, right? Because the stores are not going to rush, run out of food unless you go out and panic buy. And there was, like, limits on toilet paper. Right, I remember being told I went shopping once and I had, I had three loaves of bread. And they said, oh, sorry, sir, there's a limit of one per customer. I was like, what? It's not like I'm buying 10 loaves of bread. They're like, no, I'm sorry. So I had to go and put two loaves back and just get one loaf of bread. I was like, wow, okay. Don't panic buy. <laughs> but we're never truly satisfied unless we put Jesus in his place. When we're satisfied with the bread of life, when we eat that meal first, and that becomes the foundation and the pursuit of our lives, then everything else falls into place after that. Our souls are made to chase after good things. Augustine said that our souls are restless. God has made us restless. And they're to be satisfied in good things. And since Jesus is infinitely good, when we find and partake of relationship with him, we can spend eternity being satisfied infinitely. This story that I heard about the end of World War II, and um, the Allies had obviously won, and uh, there was a lot of orphans in Europe, and so they built these um, camps to shelter these children till they could find homes for them. And they, they were cared for, and they were fed, and they were looked after. But um, the people who were in charge of the camps found out or realized that even though the kids were getting really well fed and they were getting looked after, um, they weren't sleeping well. They had this anxiety and this fear about them. And they couldn't figure out what it was until eventually uh, a psychologist decided that, well, let's just try something here. And they gave each child uh, a piece of bread to hold as they went to sleep. And they found out that um, they slept peacefully when they had some food in their hand. 
because their anxiety came from the fact that they lived for years and years not knowing if they were going to eat any food the next day. And so they got all this food, this nice food, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, but what if tomorrow we don't have any food to eat? So if they had this assurance that they were going to get food the next day, they were able to sleep peacefully. And Jesus is like this for our souls, right? He is never going to run out. He is the bread that will continue forever. He promises us rest. In Matthew's gospel, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He will sustain us. That's what he means when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the stuff that will sustain you through the storms of life, the ups and downs, the fears, the worries, the anxieties. I will give you true satisfaction at your deepest level. And so like those orphans who doubted, we don't have to doubt God's provision for us. So we're going to take communion this morning. And it's just this is just kind of how it turned out. But it's amazing that we are able to talk about the bread of life and take communion and partake in that as an act of worship this morning. The question that I want us to think about as we come to reflect and as uh, sin leads us in worship is, are we pursuing this bread of life with all that we have? Have we truly sought that meal of satisfaction and nourishment for our souls first, or is there something else in its place? Have we uh, placed Jesus in that place of first, primary, most important, foundational, or is there something else there? Ask God this morning as we reflect and as we respond and as we sing, is there something that is in the way?